Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me across the desk, much like Lenny Bellardo, she too gets ready to LMFAO every single day. It's Regan Levin. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for having me again, live in studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favorite LMFAO song in Lenny's honor? Uh, or in the show's honor, because I guess it's extra diegetic. Maybe, mm, we don't know for sure. I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't thought about LMFAO in quite some time. <laughs> they were Rightfully big, so. They were big when I was in college. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stick with I'm sexy and I know it. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, this episode goes is a, a shout out yes. to um, the former chaplain at Aquinas College, my alma mater, Father Stan Drogowski, rest in power, a sweet, wonderful, lo- lovely man, who did all the good things a priest should do, and to my knowledge, none of the bad. Okay. Um, how would you compare him to Lenny Bellardo? Uh, I wish Father Stan would have been the Pope, frankly. <laughs> um, I, I, you know what? Because here's the thing. Could you go up to Lenny and ask him for a hug at any given moment of the day? Only if you're Esther. Okay. And even then, maybe not. Because this man, ready for a hug at any minute. Like, you didn't even have to know him personally. And he would be like, bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs> Very comforting to stressed out college students. <laughs> very comforting. We'll pour one out to... Uh, to, to Father Stan. Father Stan. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, I guess, <laughs> what an episode to be in honor of uh, uh, Breeds. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so we're talking about The Young Pope. Episode 5, directed by Paolo Sorrentino. Written by Paolo Sorrentino, Pepe Fiore, and Umberto Cantarella. And Regan, what do we have for the IMDb summary this week? Also pay your writers. Um, so today's summary is the Pope takes an unscheduled trip away from the Vatican. Voyello has a crisis of conscience and the Cardinals are finally given their audience with the pontiff. All true. And I think we probably start with the audience with the pontiff. I mean, this, this episode of the young Pope in some ways has one of the main like set pieces of the entire season of the entire show mm. and something that has had a very like halting slow build up to it with Lonnie's speech at the end. So is there a line you think we should kind of organize our discussion around from Lenny's speech? Um, the point that he brings out, which is fanaticism is love, <laughs> which and solidifies my thought that Lenny is a fascist. It is fashy. Um, it's, it is gonna... fashy <laughs> the most. I'm not sure though, if like love is what the, was what they're going for. Well, if it's not fashy, then it's Trumpy. This is its own special breed. Yeah. So just what was like the experience like of, of watching this speech that is also a performance that is also an imposition of power right. by Lenny. Um, it's just interesting because all of the build up to this is like goes in a lot of different directions. We have some hilarity. There's an outfit montage. <laughs> um, and then we go to Lenny sitting in the Cardinal conference room and he goes into this speech after being brought in on a fucking litter. This is true. He's brought in on a palanquin, right? Um, which is wild. I do not think the pontiff normally does this. I, I, I can't, for all his faults, I can't imagine Frankie being Right. Like, I don't hey, think Frankie... all of you yeah. call me... Frankie and... would rather do other things with his time <laughs> um, and not waste human resources. <laughs> so he gives this speech where it's meant... Their audience is meant to tell them what to expect, kind of like the State of the Union. Sure. Um, and kind of, well, maybe not necessarily the State of the Union, but more like... Like the like the opening year uh, meeting with the president here on campus. Like some, yeah. some updates and a vision. Or, or more like the inauguration speech. 
um, that the president of the U.S. gives. Um, so we're trying to set set the tone of what this papacy is going to be like. And how would you describe the tone that Lenny sets? Fashy. <laughs> In addition to fashy, obviously that tells us a lot. How else would we describe this? Um, I would say he, well, he's, the thing we're focusing in on is the fact that he says fanaticism is love. Um, he is someone who I think is showing that he feels like his way of approaching Catholicism is the only way. And it's the only way he's going to approach it. Um, or accept someone around him. And then he makes all the cardinals kiss his feet. Yeah. Like he's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have some thoughts about. I think that I will come up later. Because I think, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit in Potpourri, but in this moment they have costumed Lenny like the infant of Prague. So the infant Jesus of Prague. Um, they are having uh, his feet kissed like Jesus's feet were kissed by his disciples. And he's also continually doing his favorite Jesus on the crucifix pose throughout the episode. So he's trying to physically imitate Jesus, but he's not doing anything Jesus would say. In some ways, kind of a rejection of a certain interpretation of what Jesus would say, right? So at one point he says, we're done with evangelism. We're done with ecumenicalism. Tolerance, it doesn't live here anymore, mm-hmm. right? We're uh, we're not home. We're not in, right? Our door is closed, right? right? In fact, the other side of the door is hell. And he stages this demonstration with like this fancy, the silver door. Right. Yeah. So I think he here is just trying to establish like authoritarianism, um, and then when it comes to fanaticism is love, like it was wild to me because I saw him, I heard him say that and I was like, he's he's taken a, a leaf out of the, the IBLP's book with like deep Baptist rhetoric of like, you have to do exactly what God tells you to and live in his shadow every day in order to get to heaven, mm-hmm. um, which is incredibly damaging. Many people are, you know, um, I'm sure there will sp- be studies coming out soon about the people um, who have left that sort of line of thinking and have had to go into in incredible therapy to recover from religious trauma um, from that sort of rhetoric within the church. Um, so I thought, yeah, just a rhetorically like trying to take command sort of speech um, and trying to squash out anybody like it's like a no a no dissent view. Yeah, a no dissent and no um ambivalence and no partial partiality and no nuance yeah no nuance as well right like the things that he's saying in this speech would directly contradict like the movements of the jesuits the movements of the carmelites the movements of the dominicans and things that are important to those very powerful branches of catholicism yeah and also it's a i mean i think authoritarianism is also the right word and i know this a little bit maybe steps on your theory ship coming up later but there's an element of that, which is him, you know, saying lit- the liturgy is not a social hour anymore, mm-hmm. right? We need to bring the mystery back. We need to be in- inaccessible. We need right. to be prohibitive, right? That he's tied. The liturgy needs to be hard work. Uh, we're not going to automatically uh, free everybody's sins, right? That we need. Uh, there's nothing outside obedience, right? To him personally, um, he built the door, right? This is like all these ways in which Lenny is. Um, in an episode, and this is, I think, one of the things that the show does that I really, really appreciate is that this is one of the more sympathetic episodes towards Lenny, right? Up until the point when he walks into or he's brought into the chapel mm-hmm. for his speech, right? Whether it's his um, 
child that childhood like reverie of him and Andrew, whether it's him and Andrew in this very episode, whether it's him and Esther in this episode, like there's a lot more, I think, ability for the audience to emotionally identify with Lenny in a mm. less problematic way in the first what? two thirds of this episode. Yeah. And then that's contrasted. And like the show I think is asking us as viewers, how we respond to Lenny or like to, you know, the uh, emotional or social or cultural or religious or ideological Hmm. ideals that we have and the inconsistencies that we may or may not observe with them over time and in different contexts or whatever. And like, can we accept or affirm Lenny and his like (laughs) contradictions and complexity and fullness? Can we accept ourselves in our own fullness and complexity, even if uh, our like more empathetic or more sympathetic, less sympathetic uh, are hopefully less dramatic than Lenny? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like in the first two thirds of this episode, I felt um, more like Lenny was behaving like a hero in some ways, or at least an anti-hero. Versus here, I think he's, mm, I don't know, I feel strongly that he's a, a villainous character, maybe an anti-villain in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would agree with that. I can't just like, let's read all the lines from the speech. That's probably doesn't make for reasonable podcasting. Uh, no. Um but, like, what else about the visual style of that extended scene did you, like, really caught with you? So um, you well, you also filming him from a, from below. Yeah. And um, filming him from above, too. Like, yeah. there's, the, there's that part. And the way that uh, Jude Law acts this is just beautiful. Um, like, whether it's the moment where we've had the uh, background music of, like, folks chanting. Um, and then Lenny's, like, been brought in. He has his eyes closed. He's standing up in his Jesus pose. Mm-hmm. Not sitting down, right, initially, but standing up. Um, so he sits down and we've seen like the camera loves to film him like with his eyes closed for a couple of seconds before the action starts and that's we're done extra dramatically here where it's like Lenny's uh, eyes dramatically open it's like Jubat opens his eyes more quickly at that moment the music just like cuts immediately right so there's a way in which like Lenny's uh, like opening to the priest is so dramatic that it even stops the extra diegetic music that's happening mm-hmm. so like there's that moment there's the way that he's shot from above um in the camera work that's happening from above him there's the way he tells the like half of a knock knock joke mm-hmm. to open the speech right. which is quite quite beautiful um and then there's when so he's had like his hands and his arms like inside the outer cloak the whole yep. time, and then when he pulls them out, um, he has his red gloves on. Yeah, the red gloves with all the jewelry, and like he uses those to such dramatic and precise effect. Like it's right. an incredibly precise moment of acting by Jude Law. Mm-hmm. Um, to like not do like me in front of a classroom hand where like they're fi- flying fucking everywhere, right. but like very precise and pointed right. movements to, to the, convey the authoritarian right. vision. But not even authoritarian because of the red hands. Mm. It's a very mystical look, yeah. and the devil and like the devil historically yeah. is thought to have red skin. So he's also trying to pull away from humanity and create a sense of mythology about himself. I think with having the red gloves. Yeah. And then there's, at the very end of it, the breath that Jude Law takes before yes. he says amen. Yeah. Um, which, like, you know, get someone who can act a breath right. like, like right. Jude Law can in that moment. It's true. What else is notable about this speech, do you think? Also, we get very strategic takes that are very few of his audience. Yes. yes. So we are directly his audience, I mm-hmm. think, in this moment. We're not seeing any close-ups of... Um, 
or not many close-ups of any of our favorite cardinals. That's a great point, because they do cut to a lot of cardinals uh, at several points, but it's always very quick. And right. like, none of the main ones, we don't right. get Voyello or Spencer or Du Soleil, I think, right. until the end when they go to kiss his feet, which we'll, of course, get to. Mm-hmm. Right? But like, I think there's like Aguirre in the background of one of them, right. or Ozlinch and like off to the side. But the camera, you're right, it's not centered on the characters we know. No, it's very much just like a, um, a vague look. We see like... I think we see the African cardinal, who I think goes unnamed, um, is like the only one I really noticed um, in like the first run where, and it was such a glancing look at him of the people we know. It's not a, it's not a pull in. No, definitely not. And it's, I think there's some subtle even acting among these mostly unnamed characters too. Like some of them you can see have the like quarter of a wince that they think they can get away with while maintaining mm-hmm. a more or less straight face. And others are just like stone faced through Lenny's right. uh, through Lenny's speech. But then like, if we contrast that to the end, like a, the dramatic opening up of his attendance mm-hmm. um, uh, by his attendance of the cloak, is just like a very bizarre, like blocking staging right. like, visual to behold. But again, pulling away from humanity going into, I'm an otherworldly creature. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, right. And Spencer is the first person to get up and go kiss his feet. Right. Which is, I think, is surprising the first time <laughs> that I saw this, and it's to some extent still surprising the third or fourth time I've seen it. Um, mm. I feel like, though, it, I wasn't that surprised because I feel like Spencer is also trying to survive. Because I think my guess would be that Spencer's machinations here are that somehow... Lenny is removed from his papacy, and then Spencer's the shoo-in. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he's trying to crave favor and try to be good. And if he were to be part of that, those machinations, like, Lenny wouldn't blame him if he thinks that he has submitted. And I feel fine right. using the language of submit here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's an extremely submissive pose in, like, mm-hmm. a general sense of right. the term. It's also submissive, like, sexually, right? And yeah. I think that it is... Especially with Voyello, like a sexually charged almost moment, the kissing of the feet. Like, note Lenny hooking his other foot around mm. Voyello to push him down to kiss yes. his feet. Like, yeah. It's a really, really intense scene. Like, Voyello, yeah. for the changes he undergoes in this episode vis-a-vis Lenny, like, still does not see himself servile or submissive in that particular way mm. to that particular vision right. of the church. Right. Um. But in the same way, like, at this point, Lenny is also well aware that Voyello knows all of his flaws Mm -hmm. and has dirt on him in some way. Um, So hence the dominance. But maybe this is our segue into the feet kissing. Sure. Okay. So I feel like theologically, anything to do with feet, I feel like in the Bible, is like a sign of humility. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Jesus is infamous for, um, you know, telling Mary Magdalene, like, don't wash my feet, I'll wash yours. He washes other people's feet. It's definitely, like, a thing of honor. I don't think, to my knowledge, it is that typical for cardinals to be kissing the Pope's feet. I have no clue. I, I, I would be shocked if that were a thing. I think there's a lot of kissing of the ring, which is much more traditional. Yeah. I, the feet kissing, I don't know. I don't think that's a thing. But I think that is definitely, like, they are trying to evoke that he... But here's the thing, is that they've spent all of this build-up trying to do, like, Lenny's imitating Jesus. Lenny's, Lenny's imitating an otherworldly Jesus-type figure. Yeah. He's not kissing anyone's feet. He's demanding that they kiss his. Right. Like, total 
not only love is fanaticism, but also right. total obedience, right, mm-hmm. is what he calls it at one point. Uh, there's nothing outside obedience, he says. Right. He demands loyalty at another part. He says there's going to be no compromise. There's going to be no blackmail. There's going to be no negotiations. Those are the three things he names towards the end, right? Like one of the last things he says, and that's clearly like directed towards Vaello, one, one assumes, based on the earlier moments in this episode, but also like more generally to this point that you're making about like, the way that he's insisting the Cardinals treat him and view him and respond to him. Yeah. No, and it's very much a subservient act. Um, And so I think that's interesting that you bring up the idea of, like, capital D dominance and capital S submissive. Um, Because part of me wonders if this is, like, code for some kind of sexual abuse as we continue to talk about um, the Kurtwell case, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, I think that's totally possible. Um, This is just, like, one of the best scenes of television ever, I think. Like, I'm, I'm not... Trying it's to be it's good. Hyperbolic. Um, okay. Like I think. I don't know if it's my best, but I respect your opinion. <laughs> in, terms of like, in terms of all the elements of like making something in a visual medium mm. working together, right? The way that the acting interacts with the writing, with the uh, design, the costuming, the blocking, the way it's shot, designed with the sound design, like all of these things coming together, um, and like. Yeah, of course the speech is fucked up and whatever, but it's done in such a like wonderful way. And that's I think one of this show's greatest skills is that like of course we're you know, we probably want to reject a large part of what's happening, but there's something about the way that they make the show that makes those things so compelling and perhaps like highlighting the dangerous allure of some of these ideas, right? Mm. You know, to Lenny like he's full in on this, but like I think that one of the things the show is asking us to do is, like, consider how serious Catholicism could be taken mm-hmm. and asking us or challenging us through the sumptuousness of the Vatican or mm. through the way that it costumes Lenny or through Jude Law's beauty and youth or whatever, mm-hmm. um, the ways in which, like, it's identifying, like, the temptations of the non-believers or something towards the pageantry and beauty of the Catholic Church that always comes with the fanatical love. Mm, that's yeah that's true and that's something i hadn't thought about was like the dangerousness that catholicism can have right we're not seeing the comfort of catholicism we're not seeing fish fries we're not seeing the rosary yeah lenny's like fuck no to all of that right we're not seeing the community that it creates for people right Mm. it's right not social hour don't see lenny like i see him like having sister mary send out a memo being like stop the fish fries during Lent, like a damn shame <laughs> that really would be a damn shame but I mean I, I I do think this is one of the best scenes of mm. television ever um, full stop okay there's more in this episode still nonetheless right we still have next to talk uh, some other thoughts um, uh, speaking of um, fishers um, the oh, mirror so the mirroring of Lenny and Andrew um, as humans. Right. So one thing that stuck out to me right away is when they sneak out of the ca- of uh, the Vatican and they're running around is that they have a parallel frame. Very Wes Anderson. Um, <laughs> That's a great point. Regan and I did see Asteroid City recently. Yes. So I'm glad Regan was bringing this to the podcast. It all comes full circle. So they're mirrored in parallel of dark haired Lenny because they're doing like sort of a brunette Jude Law. Dark haired Lenny in his white papal tracksuit, yeah. which I can't believe there's a freaking papal tracksuit. I mean, but I, I've said before, like, like the papal athleisure is the most beautiful athleisure I've ever seen. Does this make you want to have a tracksuit, John? I don't think I can pull it off. Um, I certainly can't pull it off the way Jude Law does. I mean, like, no, I general, no one can do no, a I white tracksuit. Obviously, but like 
you know, even setting Lenny Bellardo, Jubas, okay. I, like, I don't think that, you know, even like Andrews, I couldn't pull off. Mm, okay. But anyways, yes. Yeah, so we have dark haired Jude Law and his white papal tracksuit. Do you want a papal tracksuit? Oh, I don't do that sort of outfit. <laughs> no. And then we have light haired Andrew in his dark colored tracksuit walking in parallel down the street, um, really setting up for like, these are two very different men, one of whom has been lauded as the most holy, the other one who I would argue is doing the holy work and walking the walk rather than talking the talk. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. And then also he asks him, can we go smoke? And then Andrew finishes the sentence like when we were kids. Um, which was like kind of an endearing moment for me. Um, I find myself becoming more and more fond of Andrew. Yeah. Um, he's not my favorite. Um, that um, I will um, maintain is Cardinal Castellaneta. Don't think I got that name right. Oh, well. Um, who, you know, just uses his inhaler to his best advantage, <laughs> frankly. Um, the note of love I find really fascinating. You know, we said that like the fanaticism is love. Um is helping frame this episode, not just that final speech. And there's a way in which, like, the exception to that, or maybe it's not actually that much of an exception, is the Lenny-Andrew relationship. Because Lenny says, or alludes to a couple points in this episode, like, the lack of love in his life mm. towards other humans, right? And the fact that, like, he can only ever love God because that's the only relationship that provides structure or certainty or whatever, even as uncertain as he is. But even the absence of God, like, provides right. a certain, like, um, stability in the absence for Lenny. And so he makes all these allusions to the impossibility of love other humans and obviously this is all like his orphan trauma right. uh, situation happening but i think he and andrew love one another right like i actually think mm. when he does have genuine love for another human being in his life and that that's andrew that's cardinal du Soleil. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they haven't really seen each other for however many days and like the timeline is a little bit unclear about exactly how long right right has surpassed since the first episode i think i'm sure folks have investigated that on reddit and so forth um but like everybody's still there Dusselet has been there the whole time and like i I got the sense i always get the sense from this exchange between this is like the first time they've actually talked really since they've both been there at Mm -hmm. the vatican Mm -hmm. for the conclave see i don't know if i'm convinced that he has genuine love but i think he has affection for andrew yeah um, in like a nostalgic way, in a way that also I think is him trying to keep his car- his cards close to his chest. Because he also like asks Andrew to sneak out of the Vatican with him when he could go eat pasta fagiole with Andrew instead. And yeah. something that's a little more condonable, right, for two also grown-ass men. Um <laughs> Right. So that's I, that's my kind of take. I think he has affection for that and also maybe for who he used to be, because we also get all of these flashbacks yeah. to their childhood where Lenny was clearly the ringleader, the troublemaker mm-hmm. um, and the one who um, sought the most freedom, but was also the most sensitive in some ways yes. and is actually really harmed by getting um, kind of a talking to from Sister Mary yeah. versus um Andrew goes back right away when they try to run away and seeks comfort out of someone who he's been allowed to call Ma. Um, So I don't know. But I also think all of this mirroring still alludes to this like ambiguous thought because in, um, in queer literature and queer critical theory, mirrors are often a symbol of queerness, Mm -hmm. right? Um, People like infamously in the bell jar, um, the main narrator is, um, 
mirrored by someone else who's living the life she wishes to have, which is to be an open lesbian. Yeah. Oscar Wilde enjoyed his mirror. That too. Yeah. So that's kind of my thought of the mysterious queerness of Lenny <laughs> um, and how he's eradicating people. <laughs> so that's a lot. So yes. we have the, the mirroring that you mentioned in terms of their outfits. There's also the, this mirroring that goes on between their past and their present mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. Um, and like very obvious and explicit ways, but things that I still found very meaningful, right? So witness the uh, end of the runaway scene Mm -hmm. where Lenny decides he's going to turn around after Andrew had decided however many hours or minutes before that he was going to go back. Um, And so we have Lenny walking back towards the orphanage, going like up the hill towards the orphanage, or up some steps, I forget, cut back and forth to Sister Mary and Andrew standing there, uh, cut back to Sister Mary waiting inside the Vatican gates is Lenny and Andrew like kind of almost sheepishly but also confidently like walk back up the hill towards her so there's both the you know there's the obvious paralleling of those two scenes but there's also the way in which Lenny and Andrew even as they're now adults still retain some sort of that motherly or sisterly uh subservience is way too strong but like relationship to Mm -hmm, sister Mary mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. you know even as they're grown-ass men hypothetically well everyone knows that most grown-ass men have issues with their moms whether they're good issues or bad this is true so yeah. I'm just saying <laughs> it all comes back to parenting. Do we want to talk about Lenny and Esther? I think we should also talk about the conversation is maybe not quite the right word that Lenny and Andrew have with the mm, sex worker oh, at the okay, bar sure. in the hotel. So they walk into hotel to buy cigarettes, which is right. like, what surely a, there's what a nine, options. What a nineties thing to do. <laughs> what a nineties thing to do. Um, I, I have to imagine that in Rome, there are better places to buy maybe cigarettes. we need to, maybe we need to ask Lucia where the optimal place to buy. <laughs> We have a special guest coming for the next episode. Everyone should be really excited. Yes. Um, and so while the like concierge or whatever front desk worker is trying to figure out what to do with these people uh, who were quote Americans who wanted to buy cigarettes, mm-hmm. like they go down and they see a like very conventionally attractive uh, woman like at the bar. We get the sense I think this is from Sister Mary and Viola that's like three a.m. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go and sit down and talk to her. And so she's a sex worker. And, like, that gets revealed pretty quickly, actually, uh, in the episode itself. And they have a very strange conversation about priests because she says, well, aren't you priests? And they said, no. Have you ever seen a – Bunny says, no. Have you ever seen a priest wearing a tracksuit? Mm-hmm. Lenny and Andrew are doing this, like, uh, you know, the looks they give to one another I found very enjoyable. But, like, how – what do you think the show is trying to do by introducing this sex worker character – um, or maybe character. They don't even, I don't mm. think of her name, at least not within the episode itself, but this figure perhaps. Mm, I kind of wonder if it's a little bit of a, a mirror also to Esther then. Mm. Um, hmm. Right? Esther, who's not comfortable in her sexuality versus I would presume that most sex workers are comfortable with their sexuality. Um Right. So showing them to showing them around also a woman who is most is like secular. Yeah. Um, and how they behave with that. Yeah. Um, as secular, well. but also like the way she says God, she like has this inflection of mm. like deference or reverence mm. and the pause and like slight lowering of her volume saying God. Right. Both times that she says. Right. That. That's so true. Secular, Ooh. but a. But a deference, if not a belief. Right, right. But yeah, she's not a woman of the faith necessarily. Right. She's not as fanatical and devout as Esther. Um, and she's not a sister. Um, she's just an ordinary woman. Yeah. 
so I think it's it's just showing kind of how this is how they could interact and how they could be yeah. and what they could choose to do with this. Yeah. Well, also, like, this character being a sex worker, there's, like, also some, like, vague Jesus Mary Magdalene vibes, right? Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I don't know where to go with that other than, like, another observation of... Um, I mean, maybe they're trying to point out that the sex worker does not have the same reaction to Lenny. I think maybe they're trying to point out that this sex worker is not having the same reaction to Lenny as one person, as, as Mary Magdalene had to Jesus when they first meet. Um, and that's kind of showing how I'm wondering if that's trying to show the audience that um, Lenny is not worthy of claiming that he's Jesus, which is what he's kind of shooting for. <laughs> and yet the sex worker says she has proof of the existence of God mm. then takes her phone to zoom in on Lenny's eyes and says, like, in your eyes, you know, we have the proof of the existence of God. After she had said that she's seen everything, right? Which right. Which is, like, you know, both an illusion to, like... I mean, I took it as an illusion to say, like, I know your priests, obviously. Maybe I know this is the Pope, although no one's ever seen a picture of Lenny. So whether right. she knows this is the Pope is I mean, but the papal, dra- the papal tracksuit. Papal tracksuit, yeah. The is- papal tracksuit sticks out. <laughs> it sure does. Um, we can also ask Lucia whether, like, it's common for, like, men to wear white tracksuits yes. um, in Italy as well. We're just going to have her answer a bunch of obscene questions about Italians, apparently. Right, right. Um, but she says she's seen everything, which like, I took as a reference to, like, she is probably, like, had clients who are affiliated with the church or right. perhaps even like right. priests or cardinals with the mm-hmm. church would be my assumption about that. But yeah. then like turns it around and like makes it this very beautiful moment that like totally takes Lenny by surprise. And like he does not know what to do, not with her being a sex worker, but because she zooms in on his fucking eyes and takes right. a picture and says, here I have existence of the proof of God. Right. So, hmm. Maybe she's blessing him in her own way. Yeah. And trying to say... God is within you. He's <laughs> which, just a lot of static. Which he <laughs> love that. Um, which he's unable to see for himself. Right? Mm, like, yeah. He actually, you know, he's unsure whether he actually has any God. In so him. many mirrors. So many mirrors, right? Our eyes are the mirror to for the soul. Is mm-hmm. that the is that the cliche, the line? No, his eyes are the window to the soul. Um, Maybe like a lot of imagery of glass, like cameras have glass, yeah. smartphones have glass. Right, or glass um, screens. Yeah, we have uh, Amatucci like looking through the like binoculars. The, yes, the telescope. Lenny, the telescope, right, to have Lenny and Esther um, to do some lip reading. There's some glass there. Yeah. So maybe things are not so clear in the Vatican as we thought. Yeah. That scene with Lenny and Esther is the weirdest seduction, quote unquote, scene I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I've seen one that's weirder. In real life or on film? <laughs> um, it's not really on film, but there's one in uh, the John Green book, Looking for Alaska. That is an incredible, awkward attempt at um, a first blowjob. Uh-huh. But I thought this was slightly less seductive. Because okay. um, Esther sits down right? says, you're a saint. Right? Yeah. That's that's, yep. that's the opening line. Yep. Unbuttons her shirt. Starts to unbutton the lower part of her glove, her shirt. Right. Lenny's staring at her and they're like, what the fuck is happening? Right. Like, takes the, presumably the Bible he had with him, sets right. it in between them as if, like, that's a it's, physical right. barrier it's that's trying to prevent anything. Um, and then she tries to grab his hand and yes. put it on her stomach. But that shows us what Esther thinks is sexy and the most valuable yes. thing about herself. It's, yeah. Right. It's the womb. Uh-huh. Exactly. 
And that's where it starts, and she says a Hail Mary. Yep. Uh, and I think as you, I think it was last episode, Regan, you pointed out that we haven't heard anybody say a Hail Mary in English mm. the entire show so far, which True. is weird as like yeah. that being one of the two or three right. you know, most central prayers. Yeah. So, yep, she does start to recite the Hail Mary. So she's invoking for motherhood, So, which is just interesting to me as we know, you know, Lenny has mommy issues, like, like many men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they I think it's weird to me that she keeps going to like I'm gonna like we're procreating in that seduction versus that's not how I would seduce the Pope <laughs> not that Frankie really I think is that interested um, well they also shoot the prayer hand on the stomach like as a sex scene where saying the Hail Mary is like right. the consummation it's um, not even the, the sexiest of the prayers <laughs> what what is Do our we- father duh <laughs> okay we, maybe we can unpack that on our next, <laughs> mon- our next Montreal trip um, you can regale me with that tale as we drive up to Montreal um, we'll see <laughs> about that one so it's shot as a sex scene where the climax is them saying the Hail Mary together. Yeah. And then she unbuttons most of the rest of her shirt right. and puts one of Lenny's hands as awkwardly as possible on both of their behalfs on one of her breasts. Right. Yeah. So we're we're going backwards in the foreplay there, Esther. <laughs> going backwards. Yeah. Maybe uh, this is why she can't get pregnant. She's just not doing it right. <laughs> she never got any Catholic or she never got any good sex, sex education. That's probably true. Um, and then Lenny first with his hand still on her breast starts to go into his speech right <laughs> um, about it being painful to love and here's like the mirroring of the love is mm-hmm. fanaticism mm-hmm. or fanaticism is love excuse me right. right but that it's so painful to love that he loves god because it's so painful to love humans god never leaves or always leaves which like again parenting issues right right all over the place whether it's the god or the absence of god lenny's extreme depths of sadness here and this then gets back to what we were talking about with the speech that lenny's response to like these extreme feelings of alienation from like mm-hmm. fellow humans this like rejection explicitly <clears throat> explicitly of love is then paired with the fanaticism he offers at the end, mm-hmm. like the, comp- the overcompensation to like use a very banal term for the lack of love that he thinks he's capable of once in his life can handle emotionally mm-hmm. and psychically mm-hmm. is just so strong. And I don't know, I found like his speech, like it's bizarre and strange and also incredibly touching, which is like a, for me, a accurate description of the show as a whole. Mm. I mean, I give all my best monologues with my hand on a boob. Bone, so I don't blame him. <laughs> Um, my role today is just to be the wise guy throughout all of your music. Um, and meanwhile, there's Voyello and Amatucci and a photographer. And a photographer. <laughs> like, I mean, they're in Italy. They get some paparazzi to right. like call in. Right. Um, watching them through like a, a, a spyglass, like a cartoon spyglass. Right. Like a modern right. cartoon. So that way Amatucci can read their lips. Yeah. Um, questionably accurately. Well, kind of accurate. To- totally accurately. Right. Right. But that's um, not how lip reading works. <laughs> no, it's not. But so. God works in mysterious ways. I guess. As you too, as Bono once told us. I suppose. <laughs> um, this is a hard episode for Voyello though. He's, he's in it deep. He's in it deep. But also, it's in part because he's trying, and here he actually is somewhat of a stand-in for the audience, it perhaps mm-hmm. seems to me. 
that he's trying to reconcile his extreme dislike of what Lenny is doing with the church and his approach to the whole fucking endeavor of being Pope and being uh, head of the Catholic Church, but is deeply touched by Lenny's speech to Esther mm-hmm. about the lack of love, about this alienation, mm-hmm. about loving God because you can't love your fellow human, right? And he said that, you know, he became a priest because uh, he's a coward, right? I'm a man. I'm a coward, like all uh, like all priests. Um, and he says, you know, it's because I do not want to suffer because I cannot withstand the pain of love, right? And that deeply touches Voyola. It does. Well, and I think Voyola has a complicated relationship with love. I mean, he is parenting someone, Gerlamo, um, but he calls them his best friend yeah. because I think he's really uncomfortable also with the idea of family. Um, I think we see a lot with Voyola really struggling with his identity and how he um, functions. Like, he's almost recompensory in some ways. Um, Do you think that Voyola's response to Lenny's speech in that moment is, like, consistent with his character as the show has presented him to us up to that point? I think we're seeing some growth from Voyello. Okay. Because um, he's gone from oogling the Venus of Willendorf um, and objectifying something to, um, you know, being very touched about, like, lack of love, right? So he's gone from objectifying and sexualizing... Um, a goddess that would likely involve many aspects of femininity, which would include love and motherhood and sex and whatnot. Um, but he's gone to going like, oh, maybe what I'm doing is not right. Um, and maybe I need to express love and not lust or want because that, I mean, that would be what I would apply to Voyello if we're talking about his major sins, which is greed and envy and the lust of others. Mm Um, versus like, I think Lenny is clearly pride and wrath. Voila is so deeply touched by Lenny's words here that he uses them to Sister mm-hmm. Mary later right. in the episode when Sister Mary is going to look for or tell uh, Voila that Lenny and Andrew are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe just that Lenny is gone. I forget. Um, I think just, yeah, he says just yeah. Lenny is gone. And he, No one cares about Andrew. He's just a, qual- he's right. just a cardinal. It's fine. <laughs> and he says Lenny's words back to Sister Mary. Includes right. her in this, right? So he adds a, you know, that we're, uh, we're scared or we're cowards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like all priests and nuns. So he adds that to the speech. And Sister Mary then is in turn deeply touched and she says something like, those are such beautiful words. After Vaello is like twice tells Sister Mary how beautiful she is at night. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> like, okay, sure, Vaello. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we know Vaello long, like strange, strange ideas about women, but, yeah. but seems to be really questioning like his um, ability to relate to others for yeah. sure. Um, and like then, you know, so that he's like acting in a kind of compensatory manner, gives the USB of the photos that mm-hmm. the photographer had taken from the long range of Lenny's hand on Esther's right. breast to Sister Mary because it's safer with her mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to ruin the money right this moment. No. Yeah. And I mean, I also think he gives them to her because he recognizes that he is not responsible enough to use this yeah. and has some work to do. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, 
Maybe Voyello's the real hero here. He's not a good hero. He's not a great hero. Yeah. But he's maybe the hero we deserve well, on I mean, this show. To your point that like maybe Lenny is like an anti-villain, right? Mm. I think pairing that with Voyello as the anti-hero perhaps could mm. could work, yes. I think so. But you, you would be the better expert on, on such matters. I would say mm, I'm kind of rooting for, for Voyello, Voyello, even though he's doing a lot of bad things, which is kind of the definition of what anti-heroes do. Um, anti-villain can be a more complex idea. Um, it's more like he's doing kind of the right thing for the wrong reasons. I think Lenny is kindly put as an anti-villain in my <laughs> eyes because he's doing the right thing and that he's trying to like unite Catholics and be the Pope, but he's also being a really fashy fucking Pope. Yeah. You don't have to give in to my Lenny apologism. You can, you can. Reject I'm here it. to, I'm here to challenge it. <laughs> I'm here to challenge it. The best of friends disagree on some things at least. <laughs> so we have one other Voyello scene that's I think worth including in the main discussion before we head to the segments. And that is this conversation that he and Lenny have um, later on in the episode mm. where Voyello basically <laughs> is like, I could have ruined you and mm-hmm. I didn't. And then Lenny goes on to this like very vindictive rant about how he actually knows all of Voyello's secrets because right. he knows everybody's secrets. Yep. Your old tricks won't work on, you know, mm-hmm. like you use with the old popes won't work with me because he's the young pope, right? So mm-hmm. he, he said the thing. Uh, he's the young pope and he's launching a revolution, right? Yes. And Voyello's tactics won't uh, won't work. So it's this threat plus statement of fact plus assertion of authority by Lenny, which is then given like visual gag language to in the way that they, they're walking along and it cuts back and forth between Lenny and Voyello, where you have to pay really, really close attention to note the fact that Lenny is now walking like up a slight slope on the ledge. Yep. And by the like, end, <laughs> and they, like, when they pull back to a wider shot of the two of them, Lenny is like literally 10 feet tall from the perspective of like right. compared to Voyello. Um, and then the camera goes down even below Voyello. So it's like camera below. Voyello looking up at Voyello looking up at Lenny mm-hmm. if Lenny was like 50 feet tall at that moment and right. also I assume like is a uh, is an allusion to a particular shot in like Bergman's Seventh Seal I think is what was happening mm. in, in that moment but I might be misremembering my Bergman like I haven't seen Seventh Seal in a while right um, I the only scene I feel confident in describing is the one where they're all dancing across and being tortured yeah. and then of course the chess the scene the chess scene is yeah is Iconic. classic hilarious and also communicates something about how Lenny sees himself vis-a-vis Voyello and kind of previews or primes the shot of Voyello kissing Lenny's feet at the end where you have the yeah, same it, sort of uh, like yes. exaggerated height difference. So like, but it both like as a pure gag, it's really funny. Right. And then also it communicates something about the way these characters right. relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just one of, that's the kind of thing that I think the show does really well. Mm, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I definitely think this is the setup for why Lenny kind of steps on Voyello to get him to kiss his feet mm-hmm. yeah. because he's just further establishing his dominance. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right. Time to go to the segments. Sounds good to me. All right. Let's start off in the rectory. My predictions for the rest of the show. Um, I believe that Lenny is going to machinate somehow to punish Esther for trying to seduce him. So maybe he gets a hold of the pictures. Maybe someone else gets a picture of her trying to seduce him again. But he manages to frame it in a way that he comes out clean and she can, she's the scapegoat. 
Um, Catholic Church does like to scapegoat women. It's Classic. notorious, yeah. notorious for it's like it. Like literally the first two humans. That's the that's the narrative, right? Um, there's a lot of like Andrew Lenny shipping going on. So the vague queerness of Lenny, as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of mirroring. Um, does Lenny want to just actually be Andrew um, because he's unhappy with himself? Um, you know, you're attracted to what you want to be. Um, that sort of thing. Um, I also think, however, though, Lenny and Andrew are going to come to blows at oh, some point. That sounds very dramatic. Um, because they are extremely, you know, different from each other. Um, I also think Andrew and Sister Mary are going to get together. Um, not like get together, get together. This is a very sexy episode. I don't think we went in with that vid- yeah. vision. Um, I mean, what we did in the sense that, like, like Lenny, you get ready to LMFAO, and like that frames the mm. you know the whole episode to emphasize Lenny's sexes. But like, what else is sexy about this episode, though? Um, I think just all of my mislips. Um, but we're talking a lot about BDSM essentially in this sure. episode yeah. with with dominance and such. Yeah. Um, you know, and the awkward seduction, and um, I'm a virgin, but this shirt is really old. <laughs> um, and Sister Mary so beautiful in the moonlight. Yes. <laughs> um, but Andrew and Sister Mary are gonna hang out, and they're gonna be like, uh, I think we're watching a problem, and I think that's gonna be their reaction. Yeah. I have a question for you for the rectory. Okay. I've given no comment to those per usual. Um, so one of the final, next to last scene of the episode is Lenny and Esther are like in the Papal Gardens or whatever. Um, the kangaroo's there. Of course. Lenny says jump. It jumps and Lenny's fucking thrilled. And right. then Esther starts to talk to him and he says to confess silent to God alone. Then like there's this dramatic, like, the lights it, like oversaturates a little bit even more than it already did. Mm-hmm. The flower blooms up and opens. So like, mm-hmm. did you have any predictions based on this like final scene of the kangaroo jumping, the, fl- uh, the flower opening uh, vis-a-vis Lenny and Esther and the like interest, brief interchange between the two of them there? I see. I don't think the flower opening is like a symbol of much. Um, maybe if anything, it might allude to um, how Esther may come into her own. Mm. I don't think it's a sexy flower. <laughs> no. I don't um, with the kangaroo, I don't know. My prediction is that the kangaroo is not going to make it to episode ten. Okay. The kangaroo is, will be, like, the part of the downfall of Lenny, maybe. <laughs> like, Lenny gets punched by the kangaroo because he's, like, No, I feel like, the, I feel like Lenny is going to try to pull Lazarus with the kangaroo, and it's going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to fail, and that's going to be his downfall. <laughs> All right, kangaroo Lazarus. Uh, you know what? I think they should add that to the official list of titles of the Pope. The kangaroo of Lazarus. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That would be great. I would love that. So great time but, in yeah. the rectory. Because let's be real, they first thought it was a miracle when he got the kangaroo to like chill out. Yeah. Right? And so they think he has this power over animals. They think he's a CCing. He's not. And he's going to try to do some sort of miracle work with the kangaroo once it eventually perishes for being in the wrong climate um, with the wrong food sources. <laughs> These are all seem like true things. I don't know. I don't think a kangaroo would have a real good time in Italy. That's just my guess. Like, is somebody providing the kangaroo with the food source of the food it needs? This is a question that I have. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. How many kangaroo experts could there be in Italy? <laughs> I mean, I guess they could call. I'm sure, like, 
there's, there's a, a big reference right to the zoo bio park yeah the bio park. so I think that the kangaroo is gonna die and Lenny's gonna be like I'm gonna perform a miracle and then it's gonna fail and they're all gonna be like mm, he's not the real deal so I'm no commenting all of this but I can see the pieces come together like the arc is I forget if it's episode three or four Lenny tells the kangaroo to jump and the kangaroo does not mm-hmm. so this episode is Lenny like has his apotheosis giving this authoritarian speech in the Vatican he now has the power to make the kangaroo jump just by mm-hmm. uh, saying so then the downfall is also mirrored by the kangaroo so like I said mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't confirm if this is true or not but it, it makes okay. sense as a like right. rising falling situation okay. All right, time to find time for gloss. So we had glass, and now we got gloss. Right. What is a priest meant for, Regan? Um, I think just shepherding people and mm. helping them do the thing. Hmm. Um, you know, preaching and stuff and things. Um, Lenny doesn't think so. No. But yeah, like this is the least pastoral vision for yes. the role of priest. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, because I think Lenny is uh, wanting to subsume the power of God and be God and Jesus, maybe Holy Spirit and all of them create a new religion. However... Well, he did ask the Holy Spirit to illumine them, but they yes. also say that he illumined himself. So Yes. And I think he is someone who wants... Right. He says a lot in his speech that he wants like the comfort that priests can offer people to not be a thing. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing I, I was thinking about is like, what is the role of, of the priest? How do they relate to God? I don't know. Um, you know, they're trying to like pass on God's message through their vows, I suppose. Yeah. This is, I mean, the, so Lenny is, you know, we talked a little about this last episode, but I think your, you know, your point here brings us back to this, that Lenny's not with like Calton Aceta and mm-hmm. Spencer on to, you know, uphold the fragile, lift up the fragile weight of God or whatever. Right. Right. And, you know, and he even says that like the problem with his predecessor and here, I think we have to assume the illusion is JP2 and not mm-hmm. Benedict, mm-hmm. um, like made the church more popular. People were fond for him, like did outreach right. um, and all of these sorts of things, but had like no idea identity about like defending themselves as the catholic church right right so again it's that insularity that he thinks they need to get back to yep yeah so um what about sister mary and her time with voyello i think it's notable not only the like voyello giving the line from lenny to sister mary and then admitting to that which is a very interesting moment i think in Mm -hmm, its own mm -hmm. right but also voyello bringing sister mary into like interact with Girolamo. Right. right. And like telling Sister Mary right. this is He's putting a lot of trust in her, which I think is interesting. I'm yeah. kind of still here for a Sister Mary Boyello team up. And they are teaming up, right? Because Sister Mary lies to Lenny and Andrew later right. on and say that she didn't tell anybody that they were missing. Mm-hmm. When in fact she, one of the first things she did when Domen came and told her is right. to go find Boyello at Girolamo's apartment. Right. Um, which I think is interesting. So, yeah, the cho- the fact that she chooses to lie to Lenny, I think, shows her to be the smartest woman in the Vatican, if not the smartest person in the Vatican yeah. at this moment. Yeah. Um, because she, I think she's very uh, starting to really not be on the Lenny train. Yeah, and the lie is an identification with Voyello rather than with Lenny. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. To, to your point. All right. Well, I, you know, I'm sure we could have done this whole podcast about this LMFAO oh my God. montage <laughs> yes. scene. And again, it's the contrast for me thematically and tonally Mm -hmm. from that to the most like Martinet speech that we possibly could have given. Right. And I think also it's just interesting. Like, I I think it's hilarious that this song keeps coming up um, because it is just so modern in many ways. 
And also, like, I feel like in Catholicism, you're not supposed to be sexy. But it's like, I'm sexy and I know it. Again, Lenny's pride, right? That's why he chooses this song. Um, do you think this is diegetic or non-diegetic, John? It's a great question. I actually don't know the answer. I don't either. Um, I wouldn't put it to your, what you just said. Like, I wouldn't put it past Lenny to jokingly right. put this on for himself as he got ready. Right. Um, for this particular moment and this particular occasion mm-hmm. of this speech. Um, but it also, so I think it works differently, but just as well, whether it's diegetic or non diegetic. Mm, yeah. Um, um, and then just, you know, him trying to find his, the right fit for this fashy, fashy speech. Yes. You got to try um, a few different pairs of slippers on. Right. Sticks with the red slippers. Yes. But the red with like the embroidery the, yes, on it, not yeah. just the plain red. Right. Yeah. Um, that's much better feet kissing material with the embroidery. Right. Clearly. Um, you got to have that little bit of texture in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, um, I wish I had more to say than like, isn't it really cool when the show did this? But like, it was really cool when the show does this. Again, right. the ability to like switch between tones, the appeal revulsion dichotomy that yeah. it's playing with. Yeah. Like the show is very aware, I think, of both of those aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Witness any number of things or just like pay attention to the fact that we get in many ways like a little more time with Jude Law's body in this episode um, yes. as I'm sure we'll get to right in the mm-hmm. sex scene I know it montage and like <laughs> you know playing on like makeover tropes right. and he's already beautiful right. you have like the concerned slash interested looks of some of the like attendants and so on right. that are there um I think Valente's there if I remember yeah. correctly and a few others whose names we don't have so it's just just a great scene. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and then also goes into like a vastly different scene too early in the episode with the title sequence change. Yeah. Um, which I think you have quite a few thoughts on. I do. Only that we have um, the dream, right? We have an updated version of Lenny's dream where he's trying to find his parents in Venice. Except now he's adult Lenny mm-hmm. as Pope rather than kid Lenny as Pope. Right. So again, drawing that. Uh, can con- continuity between the two of those two things. Right. And there's this, this kind of sad, mournful, um, like reflective classical piece that's playing in the background there. And when they segue into the title sequence, instead of playing the All Along the Watchtower instrumental cover that they have for the title sequence in the other episodes, they just continue this sad classical piece. Right. They keep the sequence itself exactly the same. So, like, Lenny's purposeful, confident strides, his wink to the camera. Mm-hmm. They cut out the, like, asteroid hitting the, yeah. the Pope at the end. That's the one notable notable change, right? The action that's happening in the animated paintings behind him, all the same. The lighting's all the same. But it's, I think it's such a strikingly different tone to play that opening sequence and have like Lenny's winking and such, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that like fourth wall breaking to the sad classical piece that's connected in the universe of the show to his dream about his parents and his mm-hmm. longing for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. than it does to have like a let's get pumped. Right. Um, <laughs> Along the watchtower. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a different viewing sequence. It really took me by surprise where I was, re- I was waiting for it and I thought like, Oh, that juxtaposition is going to be really cool. Right. And then they didn't do it. Why do you think they didn't go for that juxtaposition? Because the show loves juxtaposition. Right. We are well um, I think cause the show one likes to keep the watcher on the feet. Yeah. Um, I also think to kind of show a tonal shift, yeah. right? This is not him actually being that radical. He's being dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in his traditionalism. Right. Right, yeah, like, okay, it's cool that the, you know, the lads are out on the town, um, but then the show, this this episode's going to end with them, with Lenny giving that speech. Right. So I think it was, it was setting us up. Yeah. A few other times, small notes, the, like, I think it's the third time, right, so it was the kangaroo, um, it was the body of the sister's Mm -hmm. sister, um, and then in this episode as well, the, like, they love tracing the shipping of stuff to whatever the closest port is to then be loaded to the helicopter to drop on the helipad. They just love, like, showing the logistics, the, Mm -hmm. like, global logistics of the Catholic Church, and I don't have anything particular to note about that, other than that, like... You know, it's interesting that they didn't... Why didn't they fly the papal tiara from D.C. to, I don't know. to the Vatican? So right. Because well, go God knows they the love that helipad. They do love um, But uh, I don't know. I think that's a good question. We got our first viewing of the papal tiara. Very exciting. Um, what an imposing piece of headwear that is. I know. I know. Um, really creates a vibe. I think that that's what we should wear to graduation. Not our, like, pointy, fluffy hats. I, having recently gotten a Tam, I prefer the Tam. (laughs) I'm going to keep it. It's very comfortable to wear. Um, I didn't have to fuss with it a lot. It's not a lot of fuss. I would imagine that one's neck gets very heavy wearing the papal tiara. Well, heavy is the uh, head that wears (laughs) the crown. You got me. You heavy, got me. Heavy is that that wears the crown. <laughs> we get minimal Gutierrez in this episode. Right. I kind of miss him. Why, why is that? I don't know. I just I just enjoy Gutierrez. His um, subplot to me is interesting um, because I think it's now open secret about all of his secrets, except I don't think Lenny has cottoned on to his homosexuality. Yeah. I do miss We him. don't know for sure that Gutierrez is gay, right? Um, I think it's heavily implied. Yeah, it's heavily implied, but it's um, not... Confirmed in the universe right. of the show. I also think, like, his blessing of Gutierrez is hilarious. Like, good luck staying, like, true to yourself in a brand new country. You can do it. Great. Bye. See you. <laughs> um, well, there's the, and this in some ways is the duality of the Catholic Church under Lenny. There's that moment, which is the more pastoral, like, shepherding moment right. of it. Then there's also the... But it's very flippant. But it's very flippant, so it's undercut or undermined in that way. And then also undermined by, A, the fact that Lenny is also like, I know your secrets because I am the most powerful man in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And that particular uh, scene, and then particularly the vo- way that Gutierrez is shot after that, they go to like horror movie aesthetics for about 12 seconds yes. to film the Lenny Gutierrez and the Gutierrez like vis-a-vis the hedges by himself, which was... Layering in that little bit of foreboding mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I enjoyed. Then there's this final scene, this like seemingly extraneous <laughs> final scene where Tanina Bettela is like coming back from the bar or right. whatever. Tanina um, for president. Yeah, Tanina for president. I mean, far options are right. Dark Brandon, uh, Sleep slash Sleepy Joe, and, and yeah. Trump. Then, you know, what are we going to do? But right. uh, Tanina's going to run on the no labels. Um, Mary Sheep uh, platform. So Tino gets back to his, like, pretty nice apartment. Right. Like, nice pad. Yep. Um, high-tech pad. Like, got some good shrine action happening. Mm-hmm. Um, puts the TV on. Turns and... Does he actually... Are they, are they actually there, do you think? Or is this, like, a vision or, like, dream or fantasy sequence? I, I'm not sure. Okay. I really wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Yeah. 
Um, part of me wants it to be, well, cause here's the thing is I think his stigmata are fake. So I think he's having a, a vision, but less a vision and more an episode, more of a, like a, a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. The way that, so you've got, I forget who you have though. You've got Lenny in right. full like regalia that he had worn, um, for the speech. You have Wayello there, uh, Kelton Aceta, I think mm-hmm. is there in the background. I forget who the other two priests are there in that moment. The way they're lit mm. is just like absolutely stunning and yeah. gorgeous. And the way that they are shot in a way that emphasizes the beauty and the creepiness of mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. really, really cool. It is. And again, I think, you know, bodes something about what's happening in Tanina Petala. He's kind of, he's saint healer. Sort of a creep in himself, but sort with his fake, himself. with his fake stigmata. All right. Fake stigmata, I think, brings us to potpourri. Yes. Um, so one of my favorite things in the episode is the costuming of Lenny throughout. We get the return of the of the papal tracksuit. Um, <laughs> we also get his costume that he settles on for his fashy fashy speech, um, which I felt was very much modeled on the Child of Prague. Um, also, we, do, we should invite listeners to like Google Child of Prague and see how yes, important Regan's right. comparison right. is. Right, a.k.a. also known as the Infant of Prague. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so this is supposed to be the sacred infant Jesus. He's got all of his regalia out, um, very highly ornamented, has the papal tiara, mm-hmm. right? Like, very kind of creepy. And again, going for Lenny's vibe of, like, he wants to be Jesus, and the red surcoat, and like I don't know if you noticed, like he has a white surcoat, yep. green surcoat, red surcoat mm-hmm. option, right? Uh, when in his El Mafeo scene, getting ready yes. to go out yep. to party. Well, and I think that also shows like Shots. he right. We're not doing, and I think it's the three colors for a reason because I think the white is obviously his everyday look, yeah. right? Green is the sigma is the vestment color for ordinary times. It's not ordinary times in the Vatican, <laughs> right? Um, so he goes for the red to go for the child of Prague. Yeah, which again, danger things like that. I mean, I'm just continued to be um, you know amazed that we brought somebody who knows a few things about Catholicism to this uh, show, which was actually not the intention. It was more just like, oh, Regan's a cool person to talk about stuff <laughs> with and like has smart and funny things to say. Let's have her on the podcast. Right. But a mini like, expert. And then, you know, and I obviously I like knew about your going to a Catholic school for undergrad. Um, and I forgot about the Catholic knowledge that that would enable you to bring to this, this show. True. I had friends in, um, college who had a child of Prague statue that they passed around amongst each other it was it was incredibly unsettling it was made out of like the barbie kind of material where the head was hollow and squishy (laughs) um do we think the child of Prague is going to make an appearance in the barbie movie which will be out by the time the episode releases but is about a week away no Um, the child of Prague is not showing up in the barbie movie it's too bad that's like the remix is right I mean, some somebody should make a TikTok where the Child of Prague appears in key scenes of the Barbie movie. <laughs> movie. I mean, I hear that there's a music sequence now in the Barbie movie, and we get to hear Ryan Gosling sing. Okay, that's so, exciting. Prepare your loins. Um, I'm doing a I'm doing a Barbie Oppenheimer doubleheader I, with Danielle. I know, which I'm open to doing as well when I return to Plattsburgh. Uh, friend of the pod, uh, Taylor and I are going to go. Nice, Strong, um, strongly support that. Yes, um, it will be my Joker. I promise. Um, Works on many levels, perhaps. Um, Okay, so we're we're digressing. That's the point here in Popeye. What else would you like to say about papal outfits or Lenny's costume? um, You know, they continue to feature the red shoes, which I think is nice. Um, But again, I really think like this is. 
a high fashion moment for for Lenny. Yeah. All right. We've got as well, <laughs> um, Foyello and Sister Mary, another way to their conversation is Sister Mary is very upset that Lenny is missing from right. the palace, uh, the apostolic palace. And Voyello seems pretty, like, chill and nonchalant about it because right. every all of them have to remind themselves that they're free, if I remember correctly, that's his yes. line. Um, and references Lenny's predecessor, once being found in a bingo hall operating with the person <laughs> running the game. Yes. Um, which John and I then looked up to see if JP2, who is implied to be his predecessor, was caught in a bingo hall. Because I just feel like that seems like a JP2 thing to do. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, however, I am reminded that Pope Frankie is notorious for leaving and going around on his motorcycle. Yeah. Um, we also discovered that in Stratford, New Jersey, there appears to be a bingo hall named after JP2. Yes. John Paul II bingo hall. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yeah, so, Pope Frankie and his motorcycle, which John did not know that no. Pope Frankie um, is a motorcycle enthusiast. Did not know that. He also used to be a chemist, and he also used to be a janitor. I knew the chemist part. Did not know the janitor part. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm, like, wondering if... There's like a motorcycle diaries, like vis-a-vis -vis Frankie situation happening. Like, I kind of love that. Do we that. think Frankie has like read motorcycle diaries I, or seen the movie? I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope so. I, I, I'm, that's going to be my headcanon. He seems like a well-read man. Maybe. Um, I loved also the return of Sister Mary's virgin shirt. Yeah. You know, I'm a virgin, but yeah. the shirt is really old. <laughs> <laughs> and then the show double like emphasizes it so now it's doman who comes to the door right last time it was lenny and like lenny was not pleased by the whole thing mm -hmm. but doman's like they give lenny probably got her that shirt that's actually probably true whereas doman is like what the fuck is happening here there's an extra half a second beat where like his eyes go 30 percent of the way down mm -hmm. to read the shirt and right. sister mary looks back at him like yes that's the shirt i'm wearing and maybe it's weird that you're seeing this. right um versus voyello who makes it weird very quickly <laughs> Yes. Um, Which Sister Mary handles beautifully. Really does. Yeah, like, respectfully. And, like, Voyello, like, means it mostly respectfully, right? He's, like, not trying to fuck Sister Mary. No, he's not. He's yeah. just being, he's, dare I say, stereotypical. He's just being Italian. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. Um, like, for my colleague with you, we'll be on next week, I want to specify that. We will ask. I feel strongly that any Italian, like, Italian-Italian man I've ever met really is, like, keen to tell women that they are beautiful. Um, <laughs> we'll ask Lucia about that next week. And, um, and yeah, I had something else that I've lost now. So it's time, I think, for Where in the World is John's Confirmation Name. This week... We've got, as discussed last week, St. Yes. Sebastian. St. Sebastian was the other uh, saint that I thought maybe John would feel um, a calling to. So here are, I'll go with St. Sebastian's, what he's patron saint of, and maybe you yes. can inform us of the TikTok that's yes. become part of this segment, okay. ultimately. So according to uh, our favorite source of Catholic wisdom called Wikipedia, St. Sebastian is the patron saint of soldiers, plague-stricken people, archers, disabled people, athletes, and cyclists. And you are a cyclist. I do enjoy a like bike ride down by Lake Champlain in the yes. morning. Um, and I would say you are a strong advocate for UDL and um, disabled people. I hope so. I could be better at it. Um, we all could sure. be. Yeah. That's where St. Sebastian is. I don't know. I don't think 
you know, 13 or 14 or whatever year old John would have gone for St. Sebastian. Mm, okay. The apocryphal TikTok says, which I kind of agree with, that St. Sebastian would be chosen by a man. John does happen to be a man. Sure. Um, that uh, to pick St. Sebastian, you would also be a closeted homosexual. Open bisexual uh, right. is different. Right. Different, different run, but maybe at the time felt closeted. I don't know. Your parents are a lot more liberal than mine. <laughs> I'm sure you coming out was less of an issue. Um, sure. A bottom... No comments. Yeah, we'll pass that one over. Um, a daydreamer, very true. Yes. Of uh, an art enthusiast, also very true. Yeah. Um, the apocryphal TikTok also says if you pick Saint Sebastian, you are probably a fan of the book by Madeline Miller, The Song of Achilles, um, and you want to be Achilles, but you are actually Patroclus in that book. And I feel strongly that John would enjoy Song of Achilles and should yeah, read it when he has that. that energy. Do you think I'm more of an Achilles or a Patroclus? I think you're an Odysseus in that book. Ooh. Okay. He's it's Odysseus at his best. Okay, he's being a massive troll. <laughs> that appeals to me. Um, so. I feel like we should call Danielle in for a consult as our okay. expert of all things ancient yes. Greek. But yeah. uh, maybe that's a question for some sort of reunion. I'm sure <laughs> right. we can arrange between the three of us for the right. pod. Um, yeah. Hot priest trading time. Everyone's taking favorite segment. World, taking the world by storm, Regan. What's our hot, hot priest rating for the so, episode five? This is a controversial take because oh. we see the most of Jude Law's body from the front this time. Correct. Right? We see him shirtless. There's like great some good, chest hair. great chest hair, a great chest hair moment. I want to acknowledge that. Right? We have the dressing sequence. It's LMFA is playing. You're right because like. Usually someone of Jude Law's beauty and maybe even in a show like this would be depicted as having shaved, right? Or yes. like wax. So I don't know. I'm a fan of chest hair, so I, I fully approve. Yeah, I'm pro Jude Law's chest hair right. and chest hair. Generally. Right. However, then we go right in at post that scene for the very quickly. We go right into this very fascist um, uh, scene where he's trying to be a mythical, otherworldly being. I was disturbed, so yeah. I'm actually rating this as his least sexy episode. Ooh. He's getting a wow. he's getting the rating of Gigolo Joe from AI <laughs> because Gigolo Joe is supposed to be attractive, like he is a prostitute robot. But he's ultimately rather disconcerting. It's Jude Law playing it up very, very shiny and doing a lot of weird movement. Yeah, I have actually not seen AI. I don't know if I should rectify uh, that or not. I mean, AI is just modernized Pinocchio. Okay. So you don't need to. Yeah. I'm not but it's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah. I, it's not a great film. It's okay. I feel comfortable with this being the least attractive Jude Law. Um, but between the chest hair shot and him wearing the glasses, like very cool, like mm-hmm. dark, thicker rimmed glasses at one point in this episode. If the speech had been different, I would have been like, we've hit Graham. Uh-huh. We've hit Graham. <laughs> but no, it became very disconcerting and not sexy. Fair. Right. Yeah. Like the minute he opens his mouth, it's like, right. oh, shit, I but, em- down a few but it's emblematic because Jiggle Joe is meant to be sexy and attract women. But he doesn't because he's a robot and disconcerting. There are so many layers to hot priest rating. I continue to be amazed. We don't objectify men like an ordinary woman here. 
<laughs> we know that objectifying men is right. with the female gaze is yes. one of your interests. Yeah. Uh, also an interest of yours, Thomas Aquinas. Time for the cave. All right, time for the cave. Uh, we're heading down there. We have, once again, uh, Aquinas, because that's all we do here on the Young Pope series. So here we're not in the Sumo. We're in De Regimine Principium. And here is a quote. And again, this is like a, I flip to a random page. Regan points to a random sentence. I promise you we're not cheating. And I'm is, just on fire. Yeah. yeah. But Regan knows her Aquinas more than anybody else. <laughs> Like, even no. without having to like look, at I do him, not. Um, your guy, you are illumined by the Holy Spirit to Maybe. choose a kind of Aquinas quotes for us. And this week we've got we're on page seventeen of the Cambridge edition. We're in chapter six, and we have quote for when it had long been administered by several magistrates, there arose plots, dissensions, and civil wars, and it fell victim to the most cruel tyrants. End quote. And the context here is he's talking about Rome. I mean, there's, a, there, there's the obvious, like, plots, right. dissensions, and civil wars with regards right. to, like, the Voyolo. Len- Lenny, is clear- Lenny is clearly the pol- the cruel tyrant in this yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. But I also think it speaks to how the public is going to start reacting to this yeah. once kind of everything comes to a head. Yeah, and then we can do a little, like, foreshadowing a bit. So in the next episode, one of the reasons that uh, my colleague Lucia Manzi will be on is that we have a meeting between Lenny and the prime minister. So maybe we yes. can like draw out this political plot. Uh, so like I don't frequently teach Aquinas. I think I've only done it once or twice in my career, but I mm-hmm. actually teach from the uh, Derishimum um, when I do, because it's like the more explicitly political theory text. Mm-hmm. And like, I will say that it's, it's like interesting to think about Aquinas's role in the like certain kind of Catholic humanism, right? But, like, channeled through his Neoplatonism, channeled mm. through, like, the Plato and Aristotle, like, which he, I believe, I'm assuming has access to because of Islamic scholars, um, like, most of our Plato and Aristotle. So there's, like, Aquinas... Do we, I, I think the question I'm trying to pose is, like, would Aquinas approve of Lenny? No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm with you on that Yeah, one. he would be anti-Lenny. Yeah, and like you said, the fact that Lenny is so obviously, like, and we think about this one out-of-context sentence from yeah. Aquinas, the cruel tyrant. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to note that, like, the advisors doing the dissension and plots and stuff, the several magistrates in the quote are also not coming off great. Mm. Not a lot of shine on them either. Also true. I think I think we're laying the groundwork for, like, actually Aquinas was an anarchist hot take coming to you <laughs> for episode nine. But let's save that for later. All right. Head, head, let's do some theory shipping. Um, all right. So I have decided to assign uh, anti-authoritarian scholar Hannah Arendt to Lenny. Um, I think, you know, I, when, I, when I assign homework to people, I want them to change their ways. You have a you have an altruistic like let's improve somebody's life ethos with this right. Set, That's assuming that Lenny's gonna do the reading. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> but yes, assigning some Hannah rent. Yeah, and so I was foreshadowing this a little bit earlier in the episode, but you know your presentation of Lenny identifying the like singularity of the leadership and also disidentifying or de-emphasizing the social life of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. really works with your theory ship because of the origins of totalitarianism, like the individualization, massification stuff that Arendt is doing there. Um, I totally I think, planned all of this. I, I, I think really, really works. So <laughs> I am a strong supporter of your theory ship. 
Thank you. Who are you shipping? I'm going to give Lenny some queer theory, and I think Lenny should read Lee Edelman mm. um, on, like, futurity and the figure of the child, right? Okay. Because part of Lenny's problem is that uh, his, like, psychic problem, which he then exacts on the Catholic Church and thus exacts on the whole world, is this, like, extreme tie to what Edelman would call reproductive futurity, right? This notion that, like, through heterosexuality and through the heterosexual creation of presumed to be heterosexual, or we will make them heterosexual children, mm-hmm. like, you ensure the transmission of a certain notion of heteronormativity and all the bullshit that comes with heteronormativity on and on into the future for you forever, right? And, like, that then comes with a certain view of futurity itself mm-hmm. right that doesn't allow for the kind of like revolutionary transformations and like we there's some queer time stuff queer temporality mm-hmm. stuff that's happening in here as well that we could do um and that actually would fit with Lenny in a number of other ways but I'm leaving to the side it's more that like one of Lenny's problems is that he is so invested in his like forestalled reproductive futurity because his parents severed that connection to him is like his fundamental psychic wound and it's his like constant attempt to uh provide recompense or like self-soothe for that this is at the root of his authoritarianism whereas if he just read some lee edelman like maybe he would be a little bit less obsessed with like the reproductive uh, futurity of his relationship to his parents. Mm. John, I think there's a like a paper in there and all that <laughs> stuff. You want to look? The world knows that I only I don't write by myself anymore. I only write right. with others. So I know, and I would about, love to have another another if, pub. If you want to write about Lenny, Lenny right. Edelman, and Arendt, I can promise you there's no such thing that exists in the world. But maybe we could do it. I'll have my people talk to your people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my people are Larry, uh, so we'll see how it goes. I famously get along with yeah, Larry. You're number one Larry whisperer um, outside of me at this point. So, it's true. It's true. Um, but for mine, I need to ask you if you can check on him a couple times next weekend. <laughs> but we will get to that at another date off air. Regan, thank you for joining us for another Young Pub episode. Oh, thanks for putting up with my nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot more nonsense generally when it comes to the Young Pope and certainly in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll be back. Uh, well, we're recording tomorrow, but you will hear it next week uh, with episode six with our special guest, Lucia Manzi. Of course, make sure you are checking out the other things happening in Not Quite Great Books. We've got, uh, I think at this point, two episodes of our new occasional limited series, The 1%, about the depictions on TV of The 1% uh, with myself and Amy Schiller. So you definitely have uh, had available to you the White Lotus episode. And if I have my timeline correct, you now also have a Billions episode Mm. uh, as well. So check that out. Be sure you're uh, sharing everything to all, all the people you know. It doesn't matter if they like the young pope or not. Uh, you can share our episodes with us. They'll certainly learn some things about Catholicism by listening. So thank you, Regan. Thanks to Danielle. Thanks to producer Amy. Thank you for listening. This has been Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning. 
and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.